0: Uh, if you have your uh, smartphone or a tablet, then you want to open it up and, uh, the, and pull out the Evangel app, which you can download from the app store. And on there are all the announcements and things you need to know. And also on there are the notes for today as we go through scripture. And if you weren't here right at the beginning of the service, then you're also sitting there going, well, is on there what on earth happened to Pastor Patty's arm? And it's not, but I'll just tell you and then you know we can get out of the way. Okay. Slipped on the ice, New Year's Eve, classic, broke my wrist. Yay! So six weeks in a cast, and uh, I thought, I'll just, I'll just milk that and get all the sympathy that I can get. Does that sound... I mean, why not, right? So, thank you. Uh, so we're, we're, been, uh, we're going back to the story. We've been talking about the story uh, since September. We've been doing that at our church here and going through this series that takes us through the Bible from beginning to end chronologically, the whole thing, right from Genesis through to Revelation. We started it in September. It's going to take us through to about June, and uh, some of you have bought the book, and you've you've made a point of reading a chapter every single week as we go through it, and so that's what we're doing. So let me just bring us back up to speed because you've all been away for Christmas and the New Year's, and you've completely forgotten where we are. So let me bring you back up to speed. And then we'll jump into our scripture for today. So we started with creation in the beginning, right? And uh, we started with this amazing world that God had created. And then almost as soon as God had created it, then humanity just completely messed it up. And uh, we sinned, we broke our relationship with God, and we didn't know how to fix it. And right from the moment of that disaster with now this um, kind of like spiritual DNA of sin running through all of humanity, and we can't fix it, and we can't get rid of it, right from the moment of when that disaster happened, God starts dropping hints of, it won't always be this way. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to come up with a plan to save you from this so that we can be restored in our relationship with God. And we've seen that through all kinds of stories as we've gone along the way, right through up until where we are now. And and one of the biggest moments was one of the, the moments that God had with Abraham. When Abraham said, I'm going to make a covenant with you and it's going to be your descendants that I'm going to choose as my chosen people. And you are going to have countless descendants and they are going to have their own land. And all nations are going to be blessed through you. And you see this covenant then start to build from Abraham onwards. And you start to see this people group start to build. So Abraham has a son and his name is Bob. No. Abraham has a son and his name is Isaac. Turn to the person beside you and go, I knew that. Totally knew that. Isaac. Okay. And then Isaac has sons and one of them is Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons and they eventually become the the, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And during that time, uh, they end up in Egypt and that's a whole story with Joseph and that starts out well, but then it ends badly. And so they need to get out of Egypt. And so God raises up a guy named Moses who brings them out of Egypt and then they wander around in some wilderness for 40 years before they get to the edge of the promised land. And then who's the guy that takes them into the promised land? Not Bob. Joshua. That's it. Joshua's the one that leads them into the promised land. And now they're in there and they are this collection, kind of this loose collection of 12 tribes that know that they belong together, but they don't have a strong sense of national unity at this moment. And so then we go through a season of time when different judges are raised up at different times for specific situations. And we talked a little bit about that. And then we talked about Ruth, the Moabite, who was part of that season as well in Israel's history. And that's where we left it all before Christmas. How many go, oh yeah, now I remember. Just raise your hand. There you go. Okay. So that's where we left it before Christmas. And now everything is about to change again. We're on chapter 10 in the story. If you read it ahead of time, you already know things are about to change. But let me just summarize um, chapter 10 in this in the story. And there's a lot to cover as there always is. But let me summarize the story for you, and then I'm going to offer you some thoughts. And I'm betting as we go through that you're going to have some extra thoughts along the way that you're going to want to explore later. Because I did, and I could only bring out the ones that I thought were the most important for today. But I just really encourage you as we go through, if something makes you go, huh, I should think about that a little more. Just write it down or take a little note on your phone and and take a look at it later on today or later on this week. But let's just look at Things are not always as simple as they seem. So let's just take a look at the story in chapter 10. You ready? It starts with a woman whose name is Hannah and her husband. And Hannah and her husband, they cannot have children. And this really distresses Hannah, and so she goes to the temple to pray, and she's very distraught while she's there praying. She's crying. She's upset. She's really struggling with this idea that she cannot have children, and she's so upset that for whatever reason, the priest there thinks that she is drunk. And so his name is Eli, and he rebukes her for being drunk, and she explains to him, she's not drunk, thank you very much. She's upset. And that she's praying because she can't have children. And so she has come to God to pray and ask God for a miracle. And so Eli says, I'm sorry, my bad. And he prays with her and he blesses her. And then Hannah goes home and she gets pregnant. And it's, a, it's clearly an answer to prayer from God. And she decides she's going to dedicate her son to God. And her son's name is, any guesses? Samuel, not Bob okay? Her son's name is Samuel. So Samuel, Hannah decides, and her husband is with her, they decide they're going to send Samuel to the temple. They're going to dedicate this first child of theirs to God. And so Samuel grows up at the temple with Eli, the priest. And so there's this interesting line on page 131 in the story, or 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, if you're reading it in your actual, you know, regular Bibles, where it just says, in those days... The word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions. Just this little line that comes out, something that makes you go, huh, that's interesting. So then Samuel, who is growing up at the temple, one day, in the, or one night, in the middle of the night, he's sleeping and he hears God calling out to him. But because they're in a time when the word of the Lord is rare and there were not many visions, he doesn't know what it is. He thinks it's Eli calling him. This happens three times where the voice of God literally wakes up Samuel from his sleep and calls him by name, Samuel. And Samuel goes running to Eli. What? And Eli goes, I didn't call you. Stop bugging me. And so finally, Eli realizes what's going on. And he helps Samuel understand this is God speaking to you. And he says, Samuel, the next time God speaks to you, you stop and you listen because God's got something to say. So Samuel does and he listens and God gives him a message. And it gets a little bit awkward because then the next morning, Eli wants to know, what did God say to you? Tell me. But the awkward part is what God said to Samuel was that the call on Eli's family as the priests in Israel, that call was coming to an end. And the reason it was coming to an end was because Eli's sons, who were also priests, were completely corrupt. They were taking bribes. They were um, abusing their position. They were oppressing people. They were corrupt. And Eli knew it and hadn't stopped them. And so God told Samuel, I'm bringing Eli and his family, their call as priests, to an end. And Samuel had to tell Eli that. So it was a little bit awkward. So over time, as Samuel keeps growing up, it becomes very, very clear to anyone that is, that is watching that Samuel is called by God. It says on page 133, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And all Israel, all Israel, not just one of the tribes, the whole nation, all Israel recognized that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. So Samuel grows up. Time goes by. Eli and both of his sons pass away, uh, and Samuel is very highly respected. Now, he's starting to age, and so Samuel makes his sons leaders under him, just as Eli had made his sons leaders. But just as Eli's sons had not followed in their father's footsteps very well, so Samuel's sons were not following in his footsteps very well, and Samuel's sons are also corrupt, and the people of Israel have about had it with corrupt sons taking their dad's places. And so they, they don't have a problem. The people of Israel don't have a problem with Samuel. They respect him, but they don't want his sons to be in leadership. And so on page 135, they came to Samuel, the elders, and they said, appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Now, we're going to pause right here. And let me just tell you, Samuel was not happy with this. Of course, it's his boys that are being displaced. And and a little bit, he's feeling a little rejected himself. It's a little little tough on the ego when they go, "Mm, we'd like a king. So he's not happy about this. And so he goes to pray. And it turns out God's not happy about it either. God says, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But really, when you think about it, the whole thing doesn't make any sense at all because they're saying they're unhappy because they think Samuel's sons are corrupt. But having a king is not going to actually solve that problem. Kings have sons too. And, and a king's son is not guaranteed to be a good leader or to be a godly person. And so there's no guarantees on this. And so this thing of, we want a king is really not going to solve the problem that they say they want to solve. But the clue, the hint is in what, in how they say it, appoint a king to lead us, read it with me, such as all the other nations have, such as all the other, we want to be like everybody else. The truth is, they just want to be like everybody else. They just want to be like all the other nations. They don't want to be weird. They don't want to stand out. They just want to be like every other nation. Now, they've been called to be different from every other nation, but they don't care. We want a king. Everybody else has a king. We would like a king. And God says, okay. Now, I want you to note here that that it is a bad decision. It is considered right away. You'll see it in the story. This is not a good decision to have a king, but God allows it. In fact, God actually saw it coming. And if you go back in the book of Deuteronomy, you will see where Moses addressed this possibility several generations before. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses said to the people of Israel, generations before, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the other nations around us, Be sure to appoint over you a king that the Lord your God chooses. And when that king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. So it's interesting because generations before, God had said through Moses to the Israelites, you know, I don't think you need a king. But when you decide you need a king, because you're going to. And when you decide you want to be like everybody else and you want to have a king, that's fine. But here are the guidelines. And it seems like it's not something that's God's first choice. But he's going, okay then here are the guidelines to follow. For me, that was something that I went, huh, that's an interesting thought to explore. Maybe later. We're not going to explore it today, but maybe you want to. So um, a new king is chosen, and his name is Saul. Okay. We're just naming people left, right, and center here. A new king is chosen. His name is Saul. Now, when you read the story, it is clear repeatedly throughout the story that Saul is the guy that God has chosen to be king. Saul is chosen. It's clearly repeatedly shown in that way. But here's the interesting thing. And it's another thing that you might want to ponder later on. In no way does that guarantee that Saul will be a good king even though he's the one that clearly God has chosen, in no way does that guarantee that he's going to be successful or that he's going to have good character because we all have choices to make even when we have a call of God in our lives. So Saul is, Scripture says, very handsome and very tall. And we all know that makes for a good leader, right? As long as you're handsome and tall then we all know that you can be a very good leader. But actually, it turns out, actually, he's not that great of a leader. And although he rules Israel for 42 years, he sometimes does well. But he's also impatient. He's impetuous. He blames others whenever he messes up or whenever he has weaknesses. He immediately just blames others and hangs them out to dry. He's argumentative and trying to justify his behavior all the time. He's, he's, not, he's not a good leader. And by the way, when Saul becomes king, it may be possibly the worst inauguration in all of history. Because this is the speech that Samuel gives. So so here we are at the beginning of this, what's going to be 42 years. The people have said, we want a king. And Samuel goes, it's not a good decision. They go, we don't care. We want a king anyway. So Samuel goes, okay, here's the king that God has chosen for you. His name is Saul. So presumably, Saul is standing right there. You know, just, hey, I'm the new king. Look, I'm tall. And so he's standing there waiting while Samuel gives this speech. And here's what Samuel says to the people of Israel as he's presenting Saul, their new king to them. This is what he says. When you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord, your God was your king. Now, here's the king you've chosen. The one you asked for. See? See? The Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you uh, follow the Lord your God, then good. But if you don't obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hands will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, Samuel says to the people of Israel as Saul is standing right beside him, Stand still and see what God is going to do before your eyes. I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and then you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. And Saul's like, hey. The people all said to Samuel, and it happened, thunder and rain came when when Samuel called. And the people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Hey. How awkward is that for Saul, who now is supposed to be the king, when everybody has agreed this was a mistake, this was something wrong to do. So that's how Saul becomes inaugurated as king. And he becomes king, and and he starts well in some ways. He asks Samuel for advice a lot, but but it doesn't take long before he really gets proud. And like I said, he really doesn't have um, good leadership skills. So for example, there's this moment before this one battle, because they're being oppressed by the Philistines, and that's an ongoing thing through Israel's history. There's this moment when. When Saul has his troops all gathered and they're waiting before they go to battle, they're waiting for for Samuel to come and pray with them. And, 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 and offer some sacrifices and Samuel doesn't come as fast as Saul thinks that he should. And it takes him a while to get there. And Saul, as it turns out, um, doesn't have good leadership skills. And so he doesn't know how to keep his, his troops there waiting. They just start deserting. They start go out, oh, we're out of here. We're going to go home. And he doesn't have enough leadership skills to hold them there. So instead of trying to figure out how to keep them and how to motivate them and how to get them to stay until Samuel comes and does what he's supposed to do. Saul goes, Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just take Samuel's place. I'll just offer some sacrifices and do the prayer. It's fine. It'll be fine. I'm totally allowed to do that. And he totally was not. Totally was not allowed to do that. And so and so Samuel rebukes him and he really gets in trouble for that. And you see Saul develop this pattern in his kingship and in his life, where he he just tends to take matters into his own hands. And so if he's winning. He thinks he's all that, and he goes, well, I'm just the bomb. I'm awesome, so I'm going to do things the way I want to. And if he's failing or if he's afraid, he goes, I better do something crazy and again takes matters into his own hands. But in either case, he's not good at stopping and waiting and asking God to show him what to do and at leading his people with wisdom. And so there are some good moments with Saul as king during those 42 years, but he ends really badly. And chapter 10 in the story actually ends with God just saying, I am done with Saul. I have rejected him as king. And Samuel tells him that. And then Samuel just walks away. And although Saul is still king, he's on his own. He's on his own in that capacity, and God is no longer with him. And that's the end of the chapter. Now, it could take, we could take a month, we could take two months to dig into all the little pieces of this story and consider the implications and why does that matter and all of this. And we don't have time to do all of that. So can I just say, you should definitely read it. And you should definitely take some time yourself and take a look at it and go, what jumps out at me? But, but rather than try to cover all of it, I thought, you know what, I want to pull out a few thoughts for you today that, that maybe will be good for all of us. Things that hit me as I was looking at this whole story and things that might be helpful to us, you know, even as we start a new year together. And we all kind of, it's kind of tradition to go, well, I'm going to a little bit take stock and take a look at our own lives, and let's just look at a few principles. So so that's what we're going to do today. So I have three kind of general thoughts. Here's the first one. Passionate faith is not automatically passed on to the next generation. It takes intentionality. I was reading this story, and I noticed something. Both Eli, the priest, and Samuel, the prophet, both of them were good men. Both of them were leaders in their faith and in their faith community. Both of them were respected. Both of them seemed to just, I think, assume that their kids would follow in their footsteps and both of them were wrong. And that's kind of a disturbing thought. And it should, make us, it should make us pay attention a little bit. Now, I don't know what went wrong, okay? And so as I, as I talk this through, I am aware there are parents in this room right now who are in that spot whose kids are not following in their footsteps, and they don't know why. And that is heartbreaking. So please know that nothing that I say is, oh, you should adjust, whatever. None of that is... it. There is no guarantee. There is no guaranteed way that if you do all of this right, then everything will be fine and your kids will never have any problems. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, kids in general do not automatically pick up the faith of their parents. It doesn't just happen as a given. And somebody goes, well, the church should do more. Sure. The church has... Maybe one to two hours a week with the kids that are part of our church families. And I did a little math, and if I allowed six hours a day for school and eight hours a night for sleep, that leaves parents with about 70 hours a week that they have to influence and to impact their children. Now, which one do you think is going to have more influence? And somebody goes, well, we'll just hand the kids off to you for 70 hours a week. No, that's not going to happen. But can I just tell you something? Kids need parents who are intentional about passing on their faith. Kids need parents who who let them, who, who, kids need to see their parents praying regularly, not just on Sunday. Kids need to see parents who are living out their faith with honesty and with integrity and with hospitality and with compassion, and with kindness, and with thoughtfulness, and with intelligence, too. When there's hard questions, kids need to see that their parents are wrestling with those questions sometimes as part of their faith. Kids need to see that their parents make their faith their number one priority. Number one priority. Say that with me. Number one priority. Priority. Kids need to see that their parents are making their faith their number one priority. And who make their faith community, their local church, a priority. And you go, oh, Pat. listen, can I just tell you how thankful I am for my parents? Who, by the way, are celebrating their 51st anniversary today. But my parents, can I just tell you, they, I, I, I am so thankful for the example that they laid out for my sister and I. And you go, well, they must have been perfect. No, they weren't. Perfect? No. Consistent? Yes. And I grew up in a home where, where uh, my parents demonstrated passionate, consistent, authentic Christian faith every day. Not just Sundays, not just at the middle of the week, small group, but Tuesday mornings and Thursday afternoons and Friday nights. My parents demonstrated intentional Christian faith every day. And, they, and, and we, when they knew we were watching them, that's how they acted. When they thought we weren't watching them. That's how they acted, still with passionate Christian faith. And it wasn't just my parents. It was the local church community. It was the community of faith that we belonged to. I was surrounded by, and I knew who the adults were in my church as a kid that I could trust. I knew who the adults were that loved Jesus and were passionate about God. I knew who the adults were that I saw worshiping and I saw them praying and I learned to pray by watching them. I learned to serve by watching them. I knew who the adults were who gave rides to people and who cooked lunches and who led Bible studies and who did all of those things. And I knew who the ones were who prayed for me and told me that they prayed for me. These are the ones that I went to for wisdom, you know, when I turned 14 and thought I knew everything and didn't want to ask my parents anymore. I knew who the other adults were in the church that I could ask. I'm thankful to God for the local church that I, I thank God for my youth leaders and my kids ministry leaders, for ushers who greeted me at the door when I came in, you know, like I was a grown up. and, and custodians that smiled at me and said, Hey, how are you doing? And the adults that I saw, they didn't know that I was watching them but I was. I was. And they were influencing me and they were showing me what passionate faith looked like. Listen, this is what I want you to hear today. If we want the next generation to follow Jesus passionately, every single one of us has to be intentional about contributing to that. Every single one of us, not just the parents, all of us, we have to work to contribute to that because it's not going to happen automatically that's one thought i had here's a second thought that i had mistakes and sins can be redeemed even if you're living with the consequences of them ah it's a complicated story eh you know samuel standing there going this was sin but here's your king and saul going hey right it's a little bit it's a little bit sobering that once the king was appointed everybody knew it was wrong Everybody knew this was a bad move. This was a bad decision. It was sin. But there was no magical undoing of that decision. They had a king now, for better or for worse. And can I just say, I looked at this, I thought, and what do you do then? Because sometimes we make mistakes. Well, I do. Anybody out there ever make mistakes? So just me then. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we sin. And sometimes we end up living with the consequences of those mistakes or those sins, even though we are forgiven. Even though God is still with us, even though we've been forgiven, sometimes there are still consequences of living with that. Sometimes it seems like we chose the wrong career. Sometimes, because I've had people tell me, sometimes it seems like maybe we chose the wrong spouse. Sometimes it seems like maybe we moved to the wrong city or the wrong country or we made the wrong financial investment and and sometimes we don't know, sometimes we do and it was flat out rebellion or flat out sin and we know it, but sometimes we just made the wrong move and then what do we do then? Do we just, you know, ignore the king now and not acknowledge the king because it was a bad decision so we're going to ignore the king and pretend? This is what Samuel said. Here's the king you've chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you, so if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and don't rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you don't obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Don't be afraid. You have done this evil, but don't turn away from the Lord. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Because for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because he was pleased to make you his own. As for me, Samuel said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I'll teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart and consider what great things he has done for you. Mistakes. And sins can be redeemed, even if you're living with the consequences of them. So just continue living out your faith. What do we do when we realize, I made a big mistake? Take a deep breath and go, well, I'm going to serve God anyway. I'm going to serve God anyway in this space. And for some of us, that means living with some consequences and and choosing to live out our faith, even a space where we're handling some consequences. And here's what I want you to know. God has this incredible way of redeeming our sin and of bringing good out of evil. He does not abandon us when we sin. And he can bring good out even when it's been a bad decision. That's good news. And Saul, he did some good good things as king. He did some bad things, but he defeated their enemies. He brought about a sense of national unity. And, And the next king after Saul, which wouldn't have happened if Saul hadn't been made king, the next king was David. And David was a fantastic king. Perfect king? No. But he was a fantastic king. And God worked through him. God brought good out of their bad decision. So just keep serving God. Okay? Here's the third one. God's love is unconditional. God's call is not. Oh, that's a heavy one to land on, Patty. Listen, there are multiple references in the Bible to God's faithfulness, to his unfailing love, to his incredible forgiveness, to his mercy. But there is no guarantee of once king, always a king, or once a priest, always a priest, I I cannot live in ongoing, choose to live in ongoing disobedience to God and think that it's not going to impact the call of God on my life. It's not. It doesn't work that way. And It's not in the story, but in in the Bible, when when Saul sinned one more time after this whole long pattern of just taking matters into his own hands and doing things his own way, there's this whole story that happens that I'm not going to get into today, but I want you to notice the end of it in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul has messed up again. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And early in the morning, Samuel got up, and he went to meet Saul. But he was told, Sam, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honor, nice, and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. And when Samuel reached him, Saul said, oh, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions, which was not true. And Saul didn't know that Samuel already knew that. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Sure, tell me, Saul replied. And Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission Why did you not obey the Lord? Well, I did obey the Lord, Saul said. And then he explained that he sort of obeyed. He didn't completely obey, but he obeyed in a little bit. And the parts where he didn't obey was somebody else's fault, actually. It was really somebody else's fault. It had nothing to do with him. And anyway, anyway, he made a sacrifice. So it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And then you see Saul try to make excuses and he tries to gloss it over. And he says to Samuel, oh, I I sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men. So I gave in to them. So I'm just begging you, forgive my sin and come back with me where everybody can see so that I can worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I won't go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And Saul gets so desperate that he decides faking it and being a hypocrite will be better than nothing. And so Saul says, okay, I've sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. And then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah. And until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, although Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. God's love is unconditional, but God's call is not. God's love for Saul did not change. It did not change. But even though Saul chose to continue as king, God's call to that position was no longer there. And so Saul was on his own in that role and in that capacity. And, and it, just like Eli and his sons, the, the, the call, the love of God was still there. But the call wasn't there whether they chose to believe it or not. The call came to an end. And let me just offer a small teaching moment because somebody's going to email me and they're going to say, wait though, what about Romans chapter 11 verse 29? It says God's gifts and his calls are irrevocable. Sometimes we take a verse out of context with the best of intentions. And we take a single verse and we go, oh, I'm just going to pull that right out of the chapter, out of where it belonged, and I'm going to think then that it means something else. But if you read the entire chapter of Romans chapter 11, you're going to see it's not about an individual holding a position. It's actually part of a whole in-depth explanation of why why salvation could be offered to Gentiles who weren't Jewish people, who weren't God's chosen people. Why could salvation be offered to them? And the writer of Romans is explaining that when Israel rejected Jesus, salvation was offered to others because, remember, the covenant with Abraham was all nations will be blessed through you. And And then the writer says, but does that mean then that Israel has no place in God's plan and in God's salvation? No, because... God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. It's not not about a function or an individual role. It's about salvation and belonging in God's family. God's love is unconditional. God's call is not. And really, the bottom line is life's not very simple sometimes. Wouldn't it be great if this story just had, you know, a bad guy and a good guy, the evil villain and the wonderful hero, and then everything is just clear cut and everything's obvious. And and it's just not like that because it turns out it's a story that's just about, you know, real people, people kind of like you and kind of like me, (laughs) just real people sometimes making mistakes and trying to figure it out. And it seems to me that the beginning of a year, the first Sunday in January might be a good time to just kind of examine ourselves a little bit as real people And maybe invite God's word to shape us. So can I invite you at this moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's just take a moment to just reflect and let that in. I I don't want you to make something up, but I'm going to invite God at this moment. As we just take a few moments to reflect. Lord, if you have something to say to us, would you help us to hear you? And we just pause to ask ourselves, What am I demonstrating to the next generation? Talk about kids not automatically picking up passionate faith. Who am I passing my faith on to? Who's watching me? What is the next generation seeing when they see me? Or maybe you want to ask ourselves the question that says some of us are living with some consequences that are pretty difficult and, and we know why. We know when the moment was when we made a decision or when we made a choice and it may have been sin, it may have just been a mistake, but either way we're living with those consequences. God, would you show us how, how do we continue living out our faith in that space? God, would you show us how to take a deep breath and say, I'm going to serve God even now. And God, is there a way that you can bring good out of what looks a little bit messed up to us? Do what you do, God, and bring good. And then some of us are going to ask ourselves, am I, am I living out my faith with integrity? It's not a question about whether or not God still loves you. Of course he does. Love is unconditional. Is there anything that I have going on in my life that is just becoming an ongoing problem? And it's stopping me from living out my faith with authenticity, with integrity. God, we give you permission to talk to us about that right now. And God, now as we just bring this service, To a close, we pause and we say, God, would you help us as real people to walk out of here and to carry a real God, to carry a real Jesus out to our real world, where sometimes it's complicated and it's not just bad people and good people. It's just just real people. Would you help us to carry Jesus to that space? None of us claim to be perfect. But help us to carry Jesus well. Would you help us to do good? Would you help us to love each other? And would you help us to reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him? God, we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can stand if you want. We're going to dismiss our service. There will be, I believe, people at our ministry team stations. If you would like to receive prayer, they'd be happy to pray with you. Meanwhile, turn to somebody and wish them a happy new year. God bless you. We'll see you next week.